1: Americans who have tried at least uh, one dating app has now passed 40 million people and that is a lot especially for a phenomenon that really didn't exist 25 years ago and how has this been for the state of romance? Has it been good because the algorithms are better than humans at matching up people who are compatible or has it been bad Because having so much choice among potential partners, potentially millions, can turn courtship into something of a commodities business. Well, the arguments go in both of those directions and in plenty others side, which make us think it has the makings of a good debate. So let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Swipe left. Dating apps have killed romance. I'm John Donvan. We have four superbly qualified debaters on the Intelligence Squared U.S. stage. We are at the K Playhouse at Hunter College in New York City. Those debaters will be attacking this question from opposite sides, but of course, with passion. First, though... We're going to have a conversation with someone whose perspective on love in these times we live in will help us set the table for the debate to come. Daniel Jones is editor of the New York Times Modern Love column. He has personally read more than 80,000 first-person accounts of people struggling to make that connection that we call romance. That makes him the expert we need to bring us up to speed on love in the time of Tinder. Please welcome (laughs) Daniel Jones. Daniel, I just want you to know that in the world I come from, you're considered a big get. You're a big cat. We're really delighted to have you. That's that's nice to hear. We do do think that the job that you've held for now, 12 years, is it? Coming up on 14. 14 years editing the Modern Love column has really given you an insight into the mating habits and aspirations and dreams and despair of of more Americans than anybody's ever Uh seen before. What have been the big evolutions from the time you began to the time that we're in now?
2: More than anything, I see this infusion of technology into relationships as changing, whether it's online dating apps, communicating through texting, in a lot of cases, uh, hiding behind technology. We're always trying to make love easier. And it's true with everything, but with love, we feel like it should be something we can get better at. We can solve. We bring science to it, and we bring technology to it. What I like about love is that none of that ever seems to work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's something that you wrote in the book, and your book, by the way, is called "Love Illuminated: uh, Exploring Life's Most Mystifying Subject." I loved it. I wasn't sure I was going to like it. I'll do this on the phone. <laughs> yeah, I really thank love you. this book because you had, first of all, all those pieces are really well written, but your nice writing is to fantastic. But um, you mentioned that love is for the sucker in us, not the skeptic. Yeah. I mean, what's that getting at?
2: It means that you have to suspend disbelief. I mean, this idea that you um, will fall in love with someone who is meant for you and that you will spend 50, 60, 70 years together and be satisfied by that one person that takes a lot of nerve and a lot of faith. And, you know, I wrote that line in a chapter that's about people falling for catfishing and for cons. Yeah. And how easy that is to happen. Like, it's so easy to judge people who fall deeply for the fake person online. But that's what you have to do. <laughs>
1: like,
3: yeah. You have yeah. to
2: be open to that. And if you aren't open to falling for the fake person online, then you really aren't open to love, in a way. So we're like,
1: all suckers, you're saying. If We're, we're all suckers for no, love. No, we aren't.
2: I mean, some people aren't suckers, and that makes it harder for them to open up to
1: somebody. How else has working on this column, how else has it changed you?
2: I feel like the question that we ask ourselves with love and relationships is, how happy do I have a right to be? Mm -hmm. Because everyone's trying to determine if this person is right for them. Am I happy enough with this person? And then in long-term marriage, this isn't working for me anymore, but is it worth getting rid of? And the question that's sort of circling in everyone's mind, it's an impossible question to answer. People end up answering it, but... What is happiness? What does it consist of? And how much of that do I have a right to? Mm -hmm. Is this marriage enough for me? We need to start thinking about having a family. Is this the person I want to do it with? Do I feel good enough with this person? I've come to admire people through the column, the people who repeatedly open themselves up to
1: love after they've been
2: sort of crushed. Everyone gets crushed
1: at some point. The heart wants what it wants, But the brain is the thing that's telling us, don't do that stupid thing. Uh Are there people who can talk themselves out of romance because their brain is telling them it's a bad idea and their lives become ruined as a result? The opposite Mm -hmm. as well, are people following their hearts and they do incredibly stupid things? (laughs) People definitely do incredibly stupid things,
2: um, following their hearts. I'm not sure I've ever been asked that question in that way before. I think people are terrified. To be vulnerable with someone is what love requires, but that's the hardest thing. That is harder these days because um, we have these ways of sheltering ourselves and being meeker about about how we ask someone out. It's just the text that says, what's up, you know? Um, yeah. And there's so little risk in that. I, was, I mean, I'm terrible at relationships. <laughs> like, I just... The, the idea of like calling someone or going up to someone in person
1: mm-hmm.
2: it was just paralyzing to me. If I had texting, I would have been emboldened by that, but it would have been this lower bar of um, like saying, what's up? You, know? yep. you have to practice vulnerability to do it well, just like anything. I worry that our tools are allowing us not to practice vulnerability.
1: How has the attitude towards dating apps itself changed? Because I remember a time yeah. when it was, it was really it was embarrassing a sti- a, a to tell stigma. somebody that yeah. you had gone online.
2: I think the stigma has gone away completely? almost That's completely, gone. at least from the stories I get. It's a way of meeting people. It's a different way of meeting people. There are challenges that it presents that are different from the way we used to meet people, but it's still just a way of meeting people. I mean, in my view, it's caught on more with people who are introverts or shyer mm-hmm. or more prone to fantasy. <laughs> I mean, one difference I've noticed in meeting people in person or meeting people online, people online tend to fantasize more in terms of what this relationship is going to be and how great this person is going to be for you, because those fantasies can't be torn down in the moment. It's a little bit like the difference between shopping online or shopping in a brick-and-mortar store, where you know if I go into a store and I'm like, oh, those jeans are just so great, and I'm going to look so great in those jeans, and then you put them on, and you stand in the in the mirror that shows you from every angle, and you're like, "Oh God, it just it doesn't work," and your ability to fantasize was sort of cut short because you were in person and you did it online. Um, if you meet someone in person in a bar, either they don't give you the time of day in which case your fantasy is dispelled or you sense there's no chemistry uh you know smell is important in falling in love and online that, there's no it, smell yeah yeah it's it's not that a bad smell is off-putting it's that the smells need to mingle in a way that works i had no know? idea that's yeah. working below the conscious level Fisher will tell you yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I said at the beginning that having Daniel Jones was really a catch. You are a catch, and you've helped set up this conversation spectacularly well. The book, again, Love Illuminated, and the column Modern Love. I want to thank you so much for taking the time and for helping us set Thanks, the table Jan. this way. Let yeah. Daniel Jones. Thanks. My pleasure. Our motion is swipe left. Dating apps have killed romance. Let's meet our debaters. Please welcome Eric Kleinenberg. Hi Eric, welcome to Intelligence Squared. Um, You are a professor at New York University, you're a co-author of the bestseller Modern Romance. Your field is sociology and that's a field that has been looking at mating rituals for as long as anyone can really remember. How have these apps changed
3: sociology? So far, they haven't really changed sociology, but it is inevitable that they're going to. And there's a very simple reason for that. The things we do on apps are recorded by the companies that make them. And we can turn that into data that we discover all kinds of things about our secrets, the things we do. And, and I should actually say that is just one of the many unromantic things about dating apps. Um, <laughs> our intimate life is their, their you data.
1: it in there. The ladies, Eric Leinenberg. <laughs> Trying to slip one by us. And Eric's partner is, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Manouch Zemirodi. Hi, Manoush. You host the uh, Note to Self podcast that's known as the tech show about being human. Your recent book, Bored and Brilliant, also makes another fascinating breakthrough argument that is based on new research. You have found, you report, that we come up with some of our best and most creative thinking during periods when we are off of social media and just spacing out. Because that's when our minds get busy, you say, in interesting and creative ways. So given that, is the advice that you would give your opponents, if they want to win this debate, that they should just space out now and (laughs) then? Yeah, I
0: would say if they have not ignited the default mode in their brain and allowed their minds to wander towards brilliance, it's a little late. So,
1: <laughs> but that doesn't mean they haven't done that already. Let's on the team arguing for the motion. And now let's meet those opponents arguing against the motion. Swipe left. Dating apps have killed romance. Please welcome Helen Fisher. Helen, we are delighted to have you on this stage. You've been to many debates as a member of the audience. It's great to have you up here. You are a biological anthropologist. Uh, You are the chief scientific advisor to Match.com, also a breakthrough thinker, notably... Your own work applying hard science to the study of love and romance, with your fascinating insight that chemicals uh, like dopamine and serotonin in our brains have a lot to do with who's going to match up well with whom. That's what your book, Anatomy of Love, is all about, which raises the question, are we stuck with the chemistry that we're born with?
4: We're not puppets on a string of DNA, that is for sure. We've evolved a huge cerebral cortex with which we make decisions. It's amazing we don't do it better, but we do. Although we are flexible, we have personalities that are based in biology, and we're naturally drawn to some people rather than others. So people are correct when they say we have chemistry.
1: Oh, lovely line. Ladies and gentlemen, Helen Fisher. And next in line is Tom Jakes. Welcome to Intelligence Squared, Tom. Thank you. Tom, you are a Vice President of Engineering at OKCupid. That is a leading date site for anybody who might not know that. It boasts more than 3.5 million users. You, Tom, got your degree in computer science from Carnegie Mellon. And that makes you the numbers guy on the stage tonight, more than anybody else. So being good with numbers, can you please settle the most important mathematical question to have burdened sages and songwriters for generations? Is one the loneliest number?
5: (laughs) So I think one certainly is a lonely number. But like all questions, the context matters. If we're talking about the number of relationships in the world then zeroes the loneliest number because it means that everybody's alone. Oh. If you have... (laughs) (laughs) If you have one, but, you know, you might have access to a dating app like OkCupid, you can quickly turn that into two.
1: Okay. Also getting ahead of yourself, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Jakes. Here they are, our four debaters, ready to get started when Intelligence Squared US continues. We'll be right back. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters fighting it out over this motion. Swipe left. Dating apps have killed romance. Speaking first for the motion, Eric Kleinenberg. He is sociologist and co-author of the book, Modern Romance. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Kleinenberg.
3: Thank you very much. You heard I'm a sociologist. Let's start tonight by getting to know each other a little bit. So let me just ask, how many people in this room can you clap, please, if you have never done online dating, if you've never used an online... National public radio crowd here tonight. Um, and can you also uh, clap loudly if you have used a dating app? All right. We have a few people. We have a future. I have studied the data that come from dating companies, and I can tell you that it's true. Millions of people are using dating apps, but we are here not to talk about the numbers so much as to talk about the experience. The experiences of people who use dating apps are anything but romantic. Our question is not, are dating apps popular? They are, we concede that. It's whether dating apps are bad for romance. What is romance? Let's go to the Oxford English Dictionary, a great source for this. It tells us that romance is this kind of feeling of mystery and wonder. Helen has written about this that we get around love. But there's something else in the definition that's important to me. It's this sense of being swept away from reality, away from everyday life. It's that sense of being preoccupied with some other person. You think about them and care about them so much that everything else kind of melts away. That's the feeling, right? It's that idea that we're lost in love. Now, it is worth noting that since the advent of the internet, marriage rates have gone down. There are more people in the world who are single today than ever before. There are more people who are living alone. Still, I think that most people who are looking for love are able to find it, and technology won't change that. The thing is that dating apps are making just about every part of our search for love less romantic. If you've been on a dating app, you know that it encourages you to treat people like products. People routinely lie about their height, their age, their weight. They put huge amounts of attention into their photograph, and for good reason, about 90% of the action is about the quality of your picture. Are you hot or not? But then we send out heartless and sometimes cruel messages, things we would never say to a person in person because the phones encourage us to treat people like bubbles on a screen. Dating apps make it harder, not easier, to be swept away by another person. Real life and real relationships have a hard time competing with the stimulation that apps give us. On dating apps, the problem is there's too much going on. Today, people go into their phones and they perceive a world of limitless dating choices. And unfortunately, this means it's very hard to settle on the person that we're with. We're always wondering, isn't there something better out there? And this matters because romance and love don't come from superficial connections. It's not really about whether you're hot or not. What's important is not the quantity of our dates, it's the quality of our interactions. And the main reason that you should vote for the motion tonight is because apps and the phone culture that they're part of have made spending quality time with another human being a very hard thing to do. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Eric Leinenberg. Our motion again. Swipe left. Dating apps have killed romance. And here to make his opening statement against the motion, Tom Jakes, vice president of engineering at OKCupid. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Jakes.
5: Being a programmer, I'm more likely to talk to a computer than another human being. Uh, I love to travel, love candlelit dinners, long walks on the beach, and writing algorithms. The data actually shows dating apps are creating romance. There's been a steady increase in the percent of couples that are using dating apps to get together. This is especially true for people who were marginalized before, the handicapped, the LGBTQI community, and people over the age of 55. A number of studies estimate that over 40% of relationships today come from meeting on a dating app, and over 70% of LGBTQI relationships do. A recent study called The Strength of Ties that got global attention in 2017, say that we're actually seeing an unprecedented rise in the number of interracial marriages. And this sharp rise in interracial marriages correlates exactly to moments when popular dating apps were released. Things like Match.com, OkCupid, and yup, Tinder. This is what dating apps do. They break down barriers and allow you to connect, form relationships, get married to people who you might otherwise never have the chance to meet. What isn't romantic about that? Studies have shown that married couples who met online report higher marital satisfaction and have a lower rate of breaking up than couples who met offline. You might be thinking, all right, so what? Anybody can cite a study that makes them look good, right? Well, let's talk about something that you can't fake. More data. The CDC happens to track marriage and divorce rates. Don't ask me why the CDC thinks that marriage is a disease. (laughs) don't know the answer to that one, but they've got the numbers. According to them, marriage has been steadily declining in the United States since the 80s. This trend only began to change in 2009 where it started to bottom out and it's actually started to rise again. If you take a look at divorces, specifically the rate of divorces per marriage, that trend also reversed in 2010. It's actually come back down to one of the lowest points in the last 20 years. If dating apps have killed romance, where's the body? <laughs> I, looked, I looked everywhere. I couldn't find one. Qualitatively, people don't think that dating apps are killing romance. Pew Research surveyed 55% of people who don't use dating apps think that they're good. Of people who do use them, 80% think that they're a good way to meet people quantitatively, people are still forming relationships and getting together. Again, over 40% of relationships today and over a third of marriages due to dating apps. If this stuff didn't work, I wouldn't have a job. (laughs) Dating apps aren't killing romance. They're making romance possible. Thank you, Tom Jakes. We are halfway through the opening round of this
1: Intelligence Squared US debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters fighting it out over this motion. Swipe left dating apps have killed romance. In support of the motion, here is Manush Zamarodi, host of WNYC's Note to Self podcast, author of Bored and Brilliant. Ladies and gentlemen, Manush Zamarodi.
0: I am not an anthropologist. I am not a sociologist. I am not a data scientist. I'm a mom of two kids, I'm a wife, I'm a journalist, and I host a podcast that is about how technology is changing everything in our lives. My audience is extremely generous. Every day we get emails and voice memos about how technology is specifically changing the way that they work, the way that they parent, the way that they fall in love, and oftentimes they are looking for guidance on how to cope with this accelerating world. But when I told them that I was going to be doing this debate, they had a message for you. Some simply wanted to share the messages that they had exchanged with potential suitors. And tell me if this would spark online romance for you. Hey! No, that's it, just hey. Nice legs, even if you don't shave them. To be fair, several of my listeners did say that they eventually did meet a special someone with the help of an online dating site. But like anyone who has spent time on these apps, they first had to run the gauntlet of lewd messages or spend time exchanging messages with people who seemed really interested but then just seemed to disappear from their screens. Okay, but let's say you make a connection with a person, a real person, with the help of an app and you go on an actual date. So many people told me that the transactional quality of their experience on these apps just seeps over into real life. Chrissy wrote me, I have come to despise that look a man gives you when you first meet, the smirk. It makes me shudder. Immediately, I have to decide how hard I'm going to push to split the bill, because clearly they think they're buying something. Ew, but at least that guy showed up. Listen to this story about a dude who really used one of these apps to manipulate people. He was on Match.com,
3: and he, he told me it was his type of porn. So he told me that what he liked to do was start relationships with women and get to the point where it was going to be their first meeting And I guess that was like the most exciting, fun part for him as it is for most people. He would set up a time and place for them to finally meet for the first time and then he wouldn't show up.
0: Are you exhausted by all these stories? Are you thinking, oh my God, this is so draining, especially for women? Well, you're not alone. Here's Becca. Online dating is very exhausting. I'm like, obviously not opposed to meeting someone in real life. It's just like, for me personally, I don't know where the f*** I wouldn't meet anyone in real life. (laughs) My teammate told you how dating apps have destroyed romance, but I want to add that dating apps have destroyed another important aspect of romance. Civility and conversation. Eye contact. Being able to read someone's body language. Look, we all know the internet is extraordinary, but is it good for romance? No. When human beings interact online... They often revert to their crudest instincts. Give me a Twitter where people punctuate properly and treat each other with respect, and I will grant you a dating app that brings out people's most caring, loving, and romantic selves. Not gonna happen. And this is why you should vote yes.
1: Thank you. My name is Emma Rody. And the motion to vote on is swipe left. Dating apps have killed romance, and here to make her statement against the motion, Helen Fisher, biological anthropologist and chief scientific advisor to Match.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Helen Fisher.
4: I do an annual study with Match.com called Singles in America. We do not poll the match members. It's a demographically and national representative sample. We've done it for the last eight years, and we've got data on over 35,000 singles of every age and every background. Six percent of singles met somebody in a bar. I'm not surprised about that. Twenty-four percent met through a friend, and 40 percent met somebody on the Internet. Moreover, 57 percent think that online dating is a good way to meet people. Are they all crazy? Before we get into deep yogurt on this whole issue, I'd like to add a broader, more anthropological perspective to apps, to romance, and to human nature. I and my colleagues Lucy Brown, Bianca Acevedo, and others have put over 100 people into a brain scanner using fMRI to study the brain circuitry of romantic love. And we've been able to show that the main circuits lie way below the cortex where you do your thinking, way below the brain regions uh, linked with the emotions, at the very base of the brain linked with drive. In fact, this system lies right near the factories that orchestrate thirst and hunger. Thirst and hunger keep you alive today. Romantic love enables you to focus your mating energy on somebody else and pass your DNA on into tomorrow. This is a survival mechanism, and it will not die whether you swipe left or right on Tinder. (laughs) In fact, if you're concerned about killing romance with apps, what about the automobile? In the 1950s, we suddenly had a rolling bedroom. What about the birth control pill in the 70s or Viagra in 1998? Technology cannot change the basic brain structure of romance. Technology is changing the way we court, and you're going to hear more and more about that. In the past, people pulled up in their horse and buggy and wooed at Sunday lunch. In my day, they called on the phone. Today, people email and text and seek a mate on the Internet with apps. It's just the newest way to do the same old thing. In fact, these really aren't even dating sites. They're introducing sites. The only real algorithm is your own brain. When you go out and meet the person, and you've got to meet the person, your own brain snaps into action, and you court the way you always have. Smiling, laughing, listening, the way you did long before apps. I did this study myself. And i found that people who use internet to date have more education, are more fully employed, and more likely to want to marry. These sites certainly do have problems. But like any new technology, you've got to learn how to use it. Nobody gets out of love alive. You've heard about some of these people. We all suffer on the internet and off the internet. As the poet William Butler Yeats once said, love is the crooked thing. It is. The drive for romance and love is one of the most powerful brain system the human animal has ever evolved. Apps have their problems, but apps cannot, never have, and never will kill the brain circuitry for romance. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Helen Fisher. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is swipe left, dating apps have killed romance. Now we move on to round two, where the debaters address one another directly, and they take questions from me and from you, our live audience here in New York City. Our motion is, swipe left, dating apps have killed romance. We have heard the team arguing for the motion. Manush Zamarodi and Eric Kleinenberg argue dating by apps is anything but romantic, that it makes it harder to be swept away. Apps are a transactional activity whose quality is seeping into real life and destroying romance, actually, in real life, even in offline relationships killing things like civility and decency. They use the word flakier the problem of having too much choice, that when people know that they have to swipe for somebody else, they're always going to be looking for something better. So that's part of the argument being made for The Motion. The team arguing against The Motion, Helen Fisher and Tom Jakes, they say that apps are aiding and abetting romance, that there are people in the world getting together who otherwise would not be able to, including people in the disabled community, the LGBT community, where apps are, they say, responsible for 70% of relationships that have developed. Also going to the level of brain chemistry, that the brain circuitry of romantic love is too deeply etched in our brains. Technology has been blamed for destroying romance, but it's always turned out to be a false alarm. I want to go to the team arguing for the motion. Essentially, you're making a qualitative argument. Let's take on their quantitative argument. The numbers so strongly suggest that people are using these apps because they're
3: working for them. Would you like to take that on, Eric? By all means. So let me ask you to consider, for instance, Facebook. Do you know that Americans get their news from Facebook like no other place? Would any single person in this room argue that Facebook is good for news or journalism or truth? What are the most popular restaurants? McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell. Are they good for nutrition? (laughs) The, The idea that because people are using dating apps which have crowded out so many other ways of getting together. My gosh, you go to the bar and you can't interact. It just doesn't sell.
1: Tom Jakes, your opponents are basically saying that dating apps like the one that you work for, they are the fast food of romance. (laughs) (laughs) And they're quite seriously arguing that it's coarsening the culture and that anything that coarsens the culture can't be called romantic.
5: One of those points that was brought up was, is Facebook good for news? Well, I'd actually say yes. I think Facebook and Twitter have been great for news. Dating apps expand your options of meeting people who you're actually going to talk with and connect with and get to know.
1: Manush, um, embedded in that response is also the argument that team is making that people who normally would not have the opportunity to meet are meeting. And if romance is sparking in those situations and places it wouldn't before, and that supports their argument, what's your response?
0: Using this word romance as a journalist who doesn't believe that Facebook is good for news, and in fact it is destroying what has been held true um, in how we disseminate information, I would argue that. Um, For example, Helen says 70% say that online dating is a good way to meet people. That is not disputed. What we're talking about is romance. You can't quantify romance. That is a a moment where you have butterflies in your your stomach. So while we say 70% are meeting that way, that does not mean that romance is happening.
5: Let
1: me take that response to Helen Fisher then. Your opponents are basically saying if we're going to be talking about romance, that's a different thing from numbers of introductions and even numbers of relationships that connect.
4: Well, it's interesting that they keep on talking about one individual here and one individual there, whereas we are talking about huge numbers of 40 million people. Thank you. And all of our data show that uh, one third of relationships, Manush, relationships start on the internet. And that one fifth of all marriages, there's romance in relationships, there's romance in marriages.
0: Oh, I, I think that people are beaten down I mean, like getting Like when Tom says people are getting together And staying together, that's because they're too tired To move on, people I mean, at some point you think, you know How much longer can I play this numbers game Let's just call it, you know The game's over
1: I'm John Donvan and you're listening To Intelligence Squared US And we'll have more debate on this motion Swipe left, dating apps have Killed romance, stay with us I'm John Donvan. and I'm the host and moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S., where our motion is swipe left, dating apps have killed romance. Tom, I want to give you a moment to build on the argument that you were making in the beginning about algorithms, that these algorithms are better at looking at a large group of people and figuring out who's going to be compatible. What does your algorithm know about dating and romance that the rest of us don't?
5: I think there's actually huge misunderstanding about these algorithms. What does hair color have to do with your soulmate? But we don't look at things like hair color or eye color or height or weight. We look at practical behavioral measurements. If you go to a bar, the people that you see are the people in the bar with you. When you go online, you see people who are online with you too. Those are the people who we promote, the people who you're going to have the best chance of having a good, positive interaction with. I want to let Manoj take that on.
0: I had the pleasure the other night of sitting on the couch with a single uh, female relative who was like, you want to see what it's like? I'll show you what it's like. And we got on Bumble. And it was like, that's weird the way his ear is. No, gone. Oh, I don't know. His smile's weird. Goodbye. Nobody is looking at whether they like interacting or anything like that. In fact, she told me that she had gotten more matches or whatever they call it on Bumble when she had nothing written in her profile. It was based on her looking but, super but, cute.
1: But you're <laughs> doing a pivot. Very smart. Thank but, you. But... <laughs> But I'd like you to pivot back to the point that he made about the algorithm actually being good at matching
3: people up. But can we just go back to the thing that Helen said, which I think is kind of brilliant, but there's something a little off about it. It's that your brain is the best algorithm. People, your brain is not an algorithm. And I think we make a mistake in thinking that we can game this, that we can get this right quantitatively, that there's a model because you don't really know until you're with that other person whether you have a spark. The way to get at what is really distinctive and human and special about another person is to spend time with them. Go on a second date. You're not disputing the
1: value of subsequent dates and you're not responding to the question of whether the algorithm is better than we are. But I
3: am because what I'm saying and Manish is saying this also, we are actually filtering in a very different way which has to do with images. But is this Good for romance?
4: Right. Is this good we for romance? We don't think so.
3: Okay,
1: I want to go to audience questions in just a moment, but I want to let Helen respond, if you would like to, to what was just said. There. Oh, I
4: very briefly, yeah. that these are not dating sites, they are introducing sites. One of the fastest growing ones is called Our Time. It's for people over 50. I can't stand in a bar and wait for people to feel, walk by. I, it's not going to happen to me. <laughs>
5: <laughs> okay, let's go to some questions. Hi, my name is Meredith. I find that I'm a very bad judge of people that I'm in potential romantic relationships with because I self-rationalize as soon as I'm attracted to people and I just want to have sex with them and then (laughs) I end up getting in a relationship with them by mistake. How would you (laughs) respond to that? Perhaps meeting somebody on an app is better because you don't actually get to like smell them and stuff <laughs> thank you for that
1: question for, for this side right
0: Okay, so can I share? New Maybe he's familiar. Um, a friend told me this story last night that she thought that she'd met some guy that she was really into on OKCupid, and actually they decided to have sex, and they went out for brunch the next morning. And she's thinking he smells right, all those things, right? And she goes home and she gets on her laptop and she looks on her laptop, and she says, "Oh, wait, this is not my OKCupid account. Oh, it's it's Wayne's OKCupid account." And while we were having sex, I went into the bathroom and he got on OkCupid and set up another date with someone. And then she also saw all the messages that he had sent to other guys saying that she was so easy and what a great time he was having.
1: I see where that's going.
5: Let's let your your opponents respond to some of that. (laughs) Tom Jakes. What Manoush has been talking about again and again is truly bad behavior. People behaving very poorly. Uh, But, you know, when you have millions of people using these dating apps to get together, there's a very deep barrel, and you can pull out some really nasty stories from the bottom. But that doesn't mean that the typical experience isn't a good one. Okay. Very quick response. Yeah, just uh, another quick uh, sociological
3: survey. People here who have been online dating, can you uh, applaud women, especially if you've been dating online? When Manoush tells stories about these kinds of experiences and messages, will you clap if they ring a bell?
0: Hi, I'm Amelia. I'm from Colorado. Um, So
4: how is it less romantic intrinsically to meet with
5: somebody who you already know is attracted to you?
1: Because of the app.
5: Yes, through an Uh, app.
3: So again, I can just say from doing interviews with people all over the world that when people connect face-to-face, most of the time... It's a miss, and it's hard to know who you're going to be attracted to in real life, in part because the pictures that we put up of ourselves don't really tell the real truth about us. I mean, if there's anything, don't believe what you see and read. Wait until you meet the person, because the truth is, most of the time, you're not getting what you expect. Helen?
4: I would just answer the question directly and say that the data show that when you know that somebody is in love with you, it makes you like them more.
1: Hmm. That seems uh, quite intuitive. What's your name? Tiffany. Thanks.
4: So my question is, is how would you say that there's romance when there's all of these people that are constantly being disappointed because there's so much quantity? So how would you say that that's romantic?
1: And it's basically the same argument your opponents are making. They're looking at many, many incidents of nasty behavior, and they're saying that's not romantic, therefore
5: they win. Well, what about the people who don't have any other options? The people who are scared to go out, maybe they're not openly gay, and this is a mechanism where they can use these apps to actually meet people uh, that they don't otherwise have, right? Now, that doesn't mean that your point isn't a valid one, right? Like, there's a lot of attention, but, you know, what happens if you go outside to the bar? You're going to meet tons of people anyway. Like, one of the main complaints that women have when they go out is that people are hitting on them, giving them unwanted attention, and they don't have, you know, the power and the mechanisms to just make those people go away. Well, guess what? Dating apps let you just swipe those problems away. I'm sorry, Helen, did you want to jump oh, on I that? I just
4: wanted to wonder why you thought the nastiness was just on apps. I mean, all you got to do is read fiction.
1: There you go. <laughs> so uh, we have a question from YouTube, and this is for the four team. If the dating apps are killing romance by promoting superficial judgments, for example, swipe left, right, based on a picture... How's that different from eating in real life? We do not generally approach people who are unattractive to us. Should I am? (sighs) Manoush.
0: All right, total confession. When I first met my now husband, I just like, he didn't do anything for me, like at all. It was a work situation and then we ended up talking and then he was really funny and then he had the weird smell thing like Meredith was talking about, like he smelled right. And we never would have been matched by a dating site. We argue about religion constantly. But we have two beautiful children, and most of the time we're really into each other. So I just think that there's something to be said that we're talking about an industry that is $2.7 billion a year. Right? So it it makes sense that it wants you to think like there's amazing people on there and they're they're gorgeous and they're just like me or or they're different, but we're compatible anyway. Look around. One woman told me that her son made a match and she was so happy, but the irony was that the woman worked in the same building as him. So if they had just looked up from their phones, maybe they would have seen each other.
5: I'd like to let the other side respond to that. So, I mean, I actually think that your point right there is a fantastic one for dating apps. These people were in the same building and they never met until they used a dating app. Hi, I'm Candace how do you guys define
0: romance now? Because I feel like it's something you haven't actually expressed your view, of what romance is to you.
1: I think the foresight has told us what romance is. They said yeah. very clearly it's being swept away and wrapped up. So you were really asking, what's the definition of romance being used by the against? I think it's a fair question. Um, okay. So I want to take a crack at that, Ellen?
4: Um I've studied that for years. The first thing that happens when you fall in love is the person takes on what we call special meaning. Everything about them becomes special. The car that they drive is different from every other car in the parking lot the street they live on, the music that they like, elation when things are going well, mood swings into horrible despair when things are going uh, poorly, focusing on them, and you want to have sex with them, but what you really want them to do (laughs) is to call, to write, to ask you out and to tell you that they love you. You want that emotional union. It's even more important than sexual union. And the obsessive thinking. Before we put people in the brain scanners, the one most important question that I would ask them is, what percentage of the day and night do you think about this person? And they would say, I never stopped thinking about her. I never." That is romantic love. These days, forget the flowers. Just leave your cell phone in your pocket and you'll do a lot better on a first date. But uh, anyway, it's a very distinct characteristic of romantic love. Uh, We know what's happening in the brain. Times have changed. We've got something now which is called culture lag. Our definition of what romance is is changing faster than our understanding and our expectations.
1: I can let the other side have one final word if you would like. No, that was
0: lovely. I'm in love with Helen right now, actually. But, like, my... my, I don't think we're disagreeing about that, but I think it comes back to the motion, which is about how difficult dating apps are making it to get to that point that you have to deal with all the extremely unromantic... Behavior, Whether it's rating people by what they look or dealing with extremely rude, racist, sexist comments, it's a tough uh, road to get to this wonderful thing that you're describing. But I think we disagree. Well, let me
1: call it. That's the end of round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is swipe left. Dating apps have killed romance. And now we move on to round three. Round three will be brief closing statements by each debater in turn. To make her closing statement in support of the motion, Manusha Zamarodi, host and managing editor of WNYC's Note to Sell.
0: Okay, so I just mentioned $2.7 billion that we're talking about with these dating apps. But as you have seen from the headlines, Silicon Valley's utopian belief that tech is always a force for good is being tested. And I think we have to be able to say, like, No, this isn't working. This is gross a lot of the time. We don't feel good about ourselves. A lot of the emotion that I saw in some of the people standing up to ask questions is very real. Maybe the data doesn't show it, but the stories are extremely important. And Silicon Valley needs to listen. So let's let the companies know. Apps are killing romance. We need to see change. Humans can now conveniently order their groceries online. You can, with a tap, order up a car. But you should not be summoning romance through an app.
1: Thank you, Minister Zamarodi. And that motion again, swipe left, dating apps have killed romance. Here making her closing statement against the motion, Helen Fisher, biological anthropologist and chief scientific advisor to Match.com.
4: So, several years ago, I was traveling in Tanzania with one of the last remaining hunting and gathering tribes called the Hadza. I asked a 12 year old boy if he had a girlfriend. And he said, I saw a girl. And when I grow up, I'm going to kill a zebra and give her the tail. (laughs) Around the world, people love. They sing for love. They dance for love. They retell myths and legends about love. We pine for love. We live for love. We kill for love, and we die for love. In fact, the oldest love letter that I saw in Istanbul was from 4,000 years ago. It was written in cuneiform on a lump of clay. In those days, people most likely um, romanced in person. And as I've been up here tonight, I've began to wonder whether they at once had a debate called cuneiform is killing romance. <laughs> <laughs> the real thing that's changing romance is not apps. It's women piling into the job market in cultures around the world. This is the huge social modern trend. In fact, marriage has changed more in the last 100 years than in the last 10,000. But romance has not changed. Romantic love is adaptable, primordial, and unquenchable. To anybody in this room and anybody on the airwaves who is looking for love, apps cannot and never will kill romance.
1: Thank you, Helen Fisher. Here making his closing statement in support of the motion, Eric Kleinenberg, sociologist and co-author of Modern Romance.
3: I've read the histories of procreation, of evolution, and let me say at the outset, procreation and the reproduction of our species is not romance. If you read about the history of men and women getting together and think that that is a love poem, I don't know what book you're reading. Like it or not, social life today is rooted in the Internet. I know some 11- and 12-year-old kids, too. I have an 11-year-old boy. He's been talking all about Instagram recently and Snapchat. He needs to be on it because if he's not on it, he is missing out on where all the action is. He is not part of the conversation. He has to be there. And when I talk to single people, they tell me the same thing about dating apps. But that doesn't mean that they're finding the romance they want. I'm married, my wife is here, and I've spent the last decade of my life writing books about the culture of single people. Bless you, honey. (laughs) Imagine explaining that to your spouse. When I started this work, I and many of my male friends said, boy, it must be pretty great to be a guy in this world of the swipe apps, online dating. It seems so easy to find love and romance. You just click a button or swipe left or right. And when I finished all this research, I thought the opposite Thank God I have escaped that cesspool of humanity (laughs) online. We've heard all about the downsides of digital dating, the ghosting, the racial discrimination, the crass treatment of women, the utter terror of it all. And right now, we would all be better off if we had a little bit less time with our screens, a little bit less time on the apps, and a little bit more time with each other face-to-face.
1: Thank you, Eric Heinenberg. And here with his closing statement against the motion, Tom Jakes, Vice President of Engineering at OKCupid.
5: Despite coming up here today, I'm actually a pretty shy guy. I'm not the kind of person who just walks up to someone at a bar and says hello. Uh, And when I graduated college and was moving to New York City to work at OKCupid, I didn't know anybody, but I did have a dating app. And so I made a profile and started using it. Then when I was busy trying to find somebody that someone found me. She messaged me and we ended up talking and chatting for hours. The more time that we spent together, the more precious it became. Not only did I wanna spend the rest of my life with this person, I didn't wanna spend a moment without her. Her name is Natasha and she's the love of my life. If you vote yes on the motion, you're saying that you believe the world would be a better place without dating apps, better if couples like my wife and I had never had the opportunity to meet. (laughs) The reason that I do what I do for a living is because I think everyone should have that opportunity. Thank you, Tom That's
1: it for the closing arguments, and now for the results. Again, the motion, swipe left. Dating apps have killed romance. Before the debate, the live audience voted 39% in support of the motion, 37% against, 24% were undecided. After the debate, the audience voted a second time. And remember, it's the difference between the first and the second vote that determines our winner. Here are the results. In the first vote, the team arguing for the motion Dating Apps Have Killed Romance pulled in 39%. In the second vote, they got 30%. That means they lost 9 percentage points. For the against side, their first vote was 37%. Their second vote, 66%. That means they pulled up over 29% of the audience. And it means that the team arguing against the motion, swipe left, dating apps have killed romance, is our winner. Congratulations to them and to everybody for taking part. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at the K Playhouse at Hunter College in New York City. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Clea Chang is chief operating officer. Leah Mathow is vice president of programming. Shay O'Mara is manager of editorial operations. Danielle Warren is our research associate. Aaron Dalton and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. You can now stream all of our debates on demand on Apple TV and Roku devices with the IQ2US app. For more information on that or to purchase tickets to future events, visit IQ2US.org. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from David A. Coulter, Robert Epstein, Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Namath and Alan Quasha, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom… Dr. Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, the Rosenkranz Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, Jennifer and Philippe Selendi, the Paul E. Singer Foundation, Edward Stern and Stephanie Ryan, and Emily and Antoine Van Actmel. From Intelligence Squared U.S., and from me, John Donvan, thanks to all of you.